0: Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. A reminder that you can beat the summer heat with a Great Detectives of Old Time Radio t-shirt. We currently offer three designs. There's the... Regular Great Detectives t shirt available at yours truly.greatdetectives.net. There's the Johnny Dollar Anniversary t shirt at yours truly.greatdetectives.net. And then there's our Joe Friday Never Said Just the Facts, Ma'am t shirt available at Friday.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for something I'm actually really excited about. We're bringing you an episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, that I didn't play when I was going through the series the first time. This is the first of four John Lunn episodes that were not in circulation the first time we went through the series. This doesn't count the two John Lund episodes that uh, came into circulation when we were already to the Bailey episodes and we played out of order. These are four uh, episodes that are completely new to Johnny Dollar in recent years. This one is a treat because it's a script that was performed by Edmund O'Brien and John Lund Another episode was in circulation, until recently, so let's go ahead and take a listen. From December 22nd, 1953, here now is the Rudy Valentine matter.
1: WBBM-FM, Chicago. Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, the refreshing, delicious treat that gives you chewing enjoyment, presents for your listening enjoyment, John Lund as... Johnny Dollar.
2: Is this the insurance investigator? That's right. I'm Rudy Valentine. Maybe you don't remember me.
1: No, I'm afraid I don't. What company are you from?
2: (laughs) Not a company, Mr. Dollar. I'm from a prison, Leavenworth.
1: I think you have the wrong number. No,
2: I haven't. Don't hang up. You helped send me to that prison, Mr. Dollar. What? You and that rotten lawyer that sold me out. My brother who paid him and my wife.
1: Now, wait a minute. When is all this supposed to have happened?
2: New York City, nineteen forty. Remember? I told you I was innocent then, but nobody listened. I did my time and now I'm out. And I'm gonna settle things for all of you. You'll hear from me later.
3: Hello? Hello. Huh.
1: Rudy Valentine. <laughs> The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum bring you John Lund and another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Friends, the makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum present these weekly adventures of Johnny Dollar because they know that millions of you enjoy Johnny Dollar. That's true of Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum, too. It's enjoyed by millions, day in and day out. People find that chewing on a smooth, delicious piece of Wrigley Spearmint Gum somehow makes time pass more pleasantly. Whether you're working, driving, shopping, or just taking things easy, that good, tasty chewing gives you enjoyment and satisfaction. So always keep a package of Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum handy. And whenever you want a refreshing, delicious treat... Chew a stick. You'll like it. You really will. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to County Court Part 1, Kings County, New York. I don't expect you to honor this statement, but since it's my regular form of report, I'll use it. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Rudy Valentine matter. Later on the day of Rudy Valentine's phone call, I was crossing the street toward my Hartford apartment.
3: Hey, watch it! Hey, you all right? You hurt? No, no, I'm all right. Oh, here, let me help you. Hey, I thought i killed you. Oh, these holidays are
1: dynamite. It's not safe to be on the streets with this bunch of drunks. Drunks? Yeah, it could have been an accident, couldn't it? It could have been accidental, but somehow I didn't think so. Expense account item one, $3.45. Transportation to New York and police headquarters, where I contacted Sergeant Foss, criminal records office. Valentine, Rudolph, or Rodolfo. Is that all you got? Well, I don't remember any initial. Trial was a long time ago. Fourteen years. Oh, I guess we can find a file on him. Over here. Thanks. What kind of threat did he make? Oh, a general one. Something about settling things. And yesterday, on the way home from my office, a car almost picked me off. No kidding. Get a license number? I was on my face in the gutter. No kidding.
3: I don't blame you for looking into it, then. I've seen the work of some of these stir-happy mugs... Valentine, you are the V E L. This ought to catch him.
1: Uh, you said the rap was robbery, first degree. Yeah. I don't even remember the victim's name. It was a delicate testin in Valentine's neighborhood.
3: And make what makes him so hot on you, then?
1: Well, I guess the strongest evidence against him was the identification by the store owner. I brought that about. And then I found part of the stolen money and the gun in Valentine's room.
3: Uh, Valentine, Rudolph M., possession of burglary tools,
1: vagrancy. No, no. It's the wrong year anyway, isn't it? Uh, oh, here we are.
3: Valentine, Rudolph R., theft, automobile, 1939, first degree robbery and assault with dangerous weapon, 1940. That's it. Uh, nice boy. 17 years old, convicted November 3, 1940, remanded to Orban November 5. What court sentenced
4: him?
1: Oh, um, County, Part 1. Uh-huh. Let me take his home address down, too. Okay, thanks, Sergeant. I won't take any more of your time. I'll go see what I can get at the Hall of Records. It gave me a strange feeling to go 14 years back into my past and pull out a half-forgotten piece of my life to read out of the minutes of the trial the words I'd spoken then in evidence against Valentine. What I'd come for were the names and addresses of the other people he'd mentioned during his phone call. His wife wasn't there, but his brother's name was Anthony Valentine, and the lawyer who defended him was William P. Capper, a name I recognized as that of one of the most successful criminal lawyers in the state of New York.
3: Now, uh, Mr. Dollar, what is this about Rudy Valentine? He phoned me. Oh, why should he phone you?
1: Well, I don't blame you for not remembering. Hmm? I testified against him. As a matter of fact, the victim and Valentine's brother and I were the only witnesses.
3: I don't even remember the trial. He wrote me, but I didn't give his letter a second thought until my secretary announced you. You uh, think he's insane? I don't know.
1: But I do know I was almost killed by a car the day he phoned.
3: Good Lord. You think it was Valentine? Well, it could have been. That's as far as I can go. Hmm. That's rather uncomfortable, isn't it? Have something pop out of your past like this? To Think of a man spending 14 years behind bars hating you.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean.
3: You've come a long way from defending Hell's Kitchen thieves, Mr. Capper. Yes, I have. And I'd like very much to continue. Uh, What do you propose to uh, do about this?
1: Well, I'll know better when I learn what kind of a character
3: he is. You keep in touch with me. We have a weapon in the threatening letter he sent me. We can arrange a federal charge with that. Get rid of him that way. All right, Mr. Kapper.
1: I'll let you know what progress I make. I registered at a hotel and that afternoon wired the prison at Leavenworth, Kansas for any help they could give me in looking for Rudy Valentine. The answer came the next morning. He'd received mail from a Sybil Miller with an address on Sixteenth Street. How do you do? My name is Dollar, Johnny Dollar.
5: What do you want here?
1: I'm looking for Rudy.
5: He's not here, and I'm busy. I can't talk. To
1: now him. wait a minute. Get
5: out of here. Haven't you done enough to him?
1: Don't you want to help him?
5: Help him? How?
1: Try to keep him from getting into trouble again? Let me come in, Sybil. Talk to you about it.
5: All right, come on. How'd you know about me?
1: I found out Rudy was getting mail from this address.
5: Well, he isn't here. He hasn't been for a few days. I don't trust you. Why should you want to help him now after what you did to him? You wreck his life and then you want to help him? What kind of talk is that?
1: He called me on the phone the other day and told me he was going to settle everything with everybody involved in that trial of his. What kind of talk is that?
5: He didn't do that. I'm
1: afraid he did. When? Three days ago, Monday. And now it's worse than that. A threatening phone call isn't a crime, but a threatening note sent through the mail is. He sent one to the lawyer, William Kapper. He
5: said he wouldn't. He promised me he'd forget. He said it over and over, the... But it didn't make any difference now that he was out. Are you telling me the truth?
1: I have no reason to tell you anything but the truth. Now, let's save him from another trial, if we can. Where can I find him? I don't know. Is that the truth?
5: Yes, he left Monday. He said he was going to Buffalo.
1: You haven't heard from him? No.
5: I want to help him. A 17-year-old kid going to prison for 14 years, everybody double-crossing him, his own brother. And that... that thing he had for a wife, no wonder he's half crazy.
1: How did you fit in, Sybil?
5: Somebody had to stand by. Somebody had to be waiting.
1: And now you want to keep him, don't you? Sure I do. I'm staying at the ambassador. Here's the phone number in my room. If you hear from him, find out where he is if you can and let me know. Maybe I can talk him out of this idea. Will you do that? I don't know. I located Anthony Valentine by phone first and then met him at a news and cigar stand that he owned. He led me to his living quarters on the floor above where a carelessly bleached blonde woman was waiting for us. This is, uh, Rudy's wife, Pat. How are you? Hello. I told him about you on the way up. Tony called me right after he talked to you on the phone. I thought I'd better come over and find out what it's all about. That's what I told him. I'm surprised Rudy hasn't been in touch with you two.
5: Yeah, He's been after you and Mr. Capper already. I don't know whether it's a good sign or not, though.
0: To be honest, I'm scared to death.
1: Well, what reason would he have to hurt you?
0: He went so crazy, that's reason enough. I mean, he's a real mental. They even had him in the hospital for a while.
1: Poor guy. Yelling the whole world was against him and stuff like that, you know. Even tried suicide. How do you intend to handle this? I ain't sure yet. I'm gonna get Pat out of town for one thing. No use her being scared to death. But me, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll just wait and see what happens. Well, one new element had come out. Rudy's mental condition in prison. By five that evening, through another exchange of telegrams with Leavenworth, I checked on it. The second month of his term, he'd caused enough trouble in the state institution in Auburn, New York, to bring about his transfer to the federal prison in Kansas. There, he had attempted suicide and had been confined to the mental ward of the hospital. But after that, he'd been a model prisoner. My whole attitude on the case began to change that second night. The car that almost got me could have been driven by a holiday drunk. I was in my hotel room, a little annoyed at my imagination, when at 10.30, my phone rang. Johnny Dollar. Mr.
0: Dollar, this is Pat...
1: His wife. Yeah? What's the matter?
0: He killed Tony. how did it happen? I don't know.
5: Tony was taking me to the train at 11. He didn't show up, and when I called, he didn't answer, so I went
1: over there, and I found him. What am I going to do? Go catch your train, Pat. Stay out of town until this is cleared up. <laughs> Friends, here's a suggestion that'll add to your family's fun and enjoyment on Christmas. While you're doing the rest of your Christmas shopping, get some packages of healthful, delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Hang glistening packages of Wrigley's Spearmint on your tree. They're white, red, and green, real holiday colors, and they'll give your tree an attractive added touch of color and cheer. Slip a few packages of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum into Christmas stockings. They'll delight the children. Remember, too, Wrigley's Spearmint Gum is a wholesome, refreshing treat for your family to enjoy after those big holiday meals. So for extra holiday enjoyment that costs very little, get a supply of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. And now, with our star, John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. To save the police the trouble of looking for me, I went back to Anthony Valentine's apartment. The sidewalk outside was jammed with a curious and the apartment had been taken over by the homicide men. Uh, Lieutenant Maxwell was in charge of the investigation. I had you on my list, Dollar. I was going to call you in. I thought I'd save you the trouble. Found one of your cards, your hotel and room number on it. And then there's that woman, his sister-in-law. We picked her up. How come you told her to leave town? Well, it was a spur of the moment thought. She called me about this. The finger's on her, too. I thought she'd be safer out of town. Now, you ought to know better than to send witnesses away. She didn't even bother to report this. Somebody else did. We picked her up as she was leaving the premises. Well, I guess she's got a reason to be scared, Lieutenant. Now, she gave me a story about her husband just out of prison, out of his head. Threatened to kill everybody he thinks framed him. That's it. Are you one of them? I seem to be. Now, what are you doing about it? Well, so far I've been looking for him. With well, the idea that I could talk him out of it. Now, I'm not so sure I want to find him. I wouldn't. He didn't stop firing at his brother until his gun was empty. Mess. Yeah, I know. Well, do you want any more for me, Lieutenant? Not mm, well, since you come over on your own. I'll have to ask you to stay in New York to help identify this Rudy Valentine when we find him. <laughs> That's one of the crazy things about it. He knows me well enough to be gunning for me. But I wouldn't know him if I saw him. You too, eh? His wife couldn't even give me a description she was sure of. Well, he was 17 when he went to prison, 31 when he came out. There'd be some changes, all right. But I'll try and get a description for
2: you.
5: Who is
1: it? It's Johnny Dollar, Sybil. I've got to talk to you.
5: I was in bed.
1: I'm sorry I had to bother you. I'm afraid I've got some bad news for you. Go ahead. Anthony Valentine was shot to death tonight. Oh, You better sit down. This is a rotten way to hear it, but maybe it's better than getting it from the police tomorrow.
5: They know about Rudy?
1: They know everything. I'm sorry we weren't able to stop him, Sybil, but we can't let him go on. You understand that, don't you? What do you mean? You've got to do everything you can to help the police. They haven't been able to get a description of Rudy. I want you to give me as complete a one as possible. No,
5: I won't. You can't make me do that.
1: And you'll get yourself involved with him. If he kills again, you'll be partially responsible for that, too. You've done everything you can, Sybil. You've tried your best to give him something to live for. But evidently, it wasn't enough.
5: Quit it. What are you trying to do?
1: To make you understand that when he shot his brother, he killed every chance you had of making a life with him.
5: All right, so it's killed. It's all I wanted. Now I can't have it. But you took it away from me. You and those others. We'll
1: get to that later. He's
5: killed once. Things can't be wrecked anymore if he does it again. I hope he does. I hope he takes care of all of you for both of us. What do you think of that?
1: I don't blame you. I don't blame you a bit.
5: (laughs) You're admitting it. You are. You're admitting he was innocent, aren't you? Now, wait a minute. What are you going to do? Double-cross the rest of them now and try to save your own life? Sit down.
1: Shut up and sit down.
5: Get away from me.
1: Sit down. Right up until 10.30 tonight, I thought Rudy was guilty of that robbery. I had every reason to. I was a witness when Rudy was identified. I found money and the gun in his room. I turned in my evidence. The rest of it was up to the police and the district attorney.
5: You planted the money and the gun in his room. Why would I? They paid you to, his brother and that lawyer.
1: If I operated that way, do you think I could have stayed in business all these years without getting tripped up?
5: What made you change your mind about Rudy?
1: I thought Rudy was guilty until he killed his brother. That changed my mind. I looked for a reason why a guilty man would serve a term and then come out and kill people. I couldn't find a reason. But an innocent man who was framed... Yes...
5: You're on the level, aren't
1: you? Yeah, I am. Not that it helps current matters any, except that it sort of puts me on your side.
5: Rudy's and mine?
1: No, just yours. I'd like to see the people who made this kind of a life for you paid off, but I want it done the right way in courts and prisons, not the way Rudy's doing it. I want you to give me his description.
5: I'll give it to you. I guess yours is the right way.
1: I turned in the description, saw a three-state alarm sent out on Rudy Valentine, and got back to my hotel and into bed by about 1.30. I gave William capper until 10 the next morning, and then phoned him in his office.
3: I'm glad you called, Dollar. I, uh, I didn't know where to find you. I suppose you've heard what happened.
1: Yeah, Rudy must have built up a good load of hate,
3: huh? Well, at least the situation is crystallized now. He's committed murder, and the authorities will be after him. That makes your position easier, doesn't it?
1: Well, I guess so, if they catch up with him in time.
3: I'd get out of town until they do, if I were you. I got a case coming up Monday, but I'm asking for a delay. If I get it, I'm going to Florida.
1: Have you told the police about your link with Rudy?
3: I see no reason why I should.
1: No, I guess not.
3: And I don't want you to, Dollar. uh, Unless it's uh, absolutely necessary, of course. Why not? Uh, Because I'm in no position to be involved in a cheap, sordid mess like that.
1: That's right. You have come a long way, haven't you? Well, have a good time in Florida. By dinner time that night, I'd gotten no further. Neither had the police. But Rudy was more fortunate. He found me as I was unlocking the door to my room.
2: Open the door so we can go inside.
1: Is it worth it, Rudy?
2: Come on. Go over there. I'll close it.
1: You've done enough, Rudy. And you couldn't have done it more stupidly.
2: Look, I didn't come here to kill you.
1: Oh, what is the gun for?
2: If I wasn't holding it, you'd be a fool if you didn't make a try for me.
1: You've been in touch with Sybil, huh?
2: Yeah. Yeah, she told me about you. About what you said to her.
1: You were a little late, Rudy. Clearing you of that robbery isn't going to do you any good now.
2: Maybe you're right. Look... I know I'm in a bad spot, and on account of the same people, but I didn't kill Tony. What kind of a pitch is this? It's straight. I didn't kill him.
1: You're threatened to, and he's found shot to death. Then you stand there holding a gun on me and say you didn't do it. What's the matter with you?
2: Here. You can have the gun. Sybil says she trusts you. I guess the way things are, I got nothing to lose by trying it myself. Well... Now we can talk. Yeah. Do you believe me? Would I come in here and give it to you if I was
1: lying? Well, 14 years is long enough to work out some pretty intricate maneuvers, it seems to me. Giving yourself up like this would make a good impression if you were
2: pinning the murder on somebody else. All I thought about in prison was killing them. I meant to. I meant to do it fast so I wouldn't go soft. But I... I did. I did go soft. Seeing Sybil again and thinking about what living outside could be. What did you do last night? I haven't got an alibi, if that's what you mean. I took Sybil's car and drove up to Buffalo to look for a job. I started back last night and slept in a car someplace because I was too broke to go to a hotel.
1: What kind of a car is it?
2: What color? Uh, Blue Plymouth Coupe 49, I think. Uh,
1: It's not a green sedan?
2: No, why? Why? Well, one almost killed me in Hartford the day you phoned. You, you thought it was me. Huh? No, it wasn't. I can prove that for you, all right? Yeah? How? By the people here where I looked for a job. I signed papers every day after I got back. Mm. That isn't much, but it helps.
1: Now, I'm trying to believe you, Rudy, so give me everything you can.
2: All right? Uh, where do you want me to
1: start? He went through the arrest and the trial where he didn't realize until too late that Capper's questions were leading him into a trap. The wife and brother who could have alibied him and didn't. The $2,000 of the stolen funds never recovered. And the fact that both his brother's and Capper's fortunes took an upswing that same year.
2: And I guess if it hadn't been for Sybil, I never would have made it. But I did. And now, here I am again. You sure are.
1: There's not a thing we can prove. I shouldn't try to do anything with it, and I won't, except under one condition. What's that? That you give
2: yourself up to the police. No. No, I'm not going to do that. Not after the last time, no.
1: Then beat it. I can't do anything.
2: But why would that help?
1: Because your position is so hopeless. It's the only thing that'll make you look even vaguely innocent. It'll give me something to use, too.
2: Do you know what you're asking me to do? To take a chance on another trial with everything against me? Prison again? This time the debt cell? Well, it's a gamble, Rudy, but it's the only way I'll play.
1: They'll get you sooner or later anyway. It's up to you.
2: What? I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't know why, except I guess you're right. They'll get me sooner or later anyway.
1: He was on the verge of changing his mind all the way to headquarters, and I didn't blame him. But I got him there, and it turned out to be the best move he'd ever made in his life. I left him in cab to the address of his wife, Pat. When I got there, the scene was very much like the scene at his brother's the night before. She'd been shot to death. I stayed long enough to pick up a little information... And then I crossed town to William Capper's hotel apartment.
3: uh, I'm sorry, sir. Mr. Capper left orders he didn't wish to be disturbed. I think you'll see me. Excuse me. Oh, but, sir, Mr. Capper! You have no right to do this, sir. Why, and what is it? Shouting at Dollar! This man pushed right in, sir. What's the meaning of this? I don't like people forcibly entering my apartment, Dollar. It's serious business. Killing you would be justifiable homicide. I wish you'd
1: try so I could plead self-defense. You come as far as you're coming from that courtroom
3: 14 years ago. Well, oh, that's a definite statement, to say the least. All right, you may go, Ryan.
2: Yes, sir.
3: Now, just why are you so interested in my part of that trial, Mr. Dollar? Because you were paid to throw the case and you threw it. Why, you stupid fool. It's customary to have a basis of proof when you hurl an accusation like that. I got the proof. Proof to bridge a gap of 14 years? It's a cinch. Now, see here. I'll assume that you uh, do have the proof, though I doubt it. But would you seriously consider bringing it to light to ruin my career for a mistake made years ago?
1: You didn't seem to mind ruining the lives of two people. You were a cheap, money-hungry ambulance chaser. I don't care how your income has climbed, you're still one. The courts will be better off without you. And believe me, they're going to lose you.
3: Should be a way to settle this. How much do you want? I want a confession to murder. You aren't serious. Tony Valentine, the one who threw you a few dollars for your fine defense of his brother. Rudy killed him, and you know it. He'd be found guilty by any jury in the land. I
1: don't think so. His wife was killed tonight. Why, Why no, I, I hadn't heard. It's no good, Capper. The shots were reported a little after eight. Rudy was with me at the time she was killed. So?
3: Who does that leave? I'm afraid it leaves you and it leaves me. My servant will testify to your forcible entry here, and an ex-convict is not acceptable as a witness. It's evident that you have been trying to protect your career. I've been waiting to hear something like that. Don't try it. Get away from the gun.
1: Expense account item two, same as item one. Three dollars and forty-five cents. Transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, six dollars and ninety cents. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Friends, we want to remind you that it's a good idea to have plenty of healthful, delicious Wrigley's Spearmint in your home for the holidays. You can get it easily even if you're rushed for time. Hang some glistening packages of Wrigley's Spearmint on your Christmas tree. They'll give your tree an extra touch of color and good cheer. Give the children an added treat by putting a few packs of Wrigley's Spearmint in their Christmas stockings. And have some to pass around to everyone during family get-togethers. Remember, too... Wrigley Spearmint Gum is an ideal treat to top off hearty holiday meals. Because chewing Wrigley Spearmint freshens the taste, sweetens the breath, and aids digestion. So get some packages of Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum for your happy holidays. Remember, that's Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. <laughs> Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, brought to you by Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, stars John Lund in the title role, and was written by Gil Dowd with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Featured in tonight's cast were Sidney Miller, Bill Johnstone, Jack Moyles, Jeanette Nolan, Joseph Kearns, Mary Jane Croft, and Clayton Post. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle.
0: Welcome back. Well, an interesting episode. Even though it aired at Christmas time, it has no real connection to Christmas at all. You might think, well, what about the reference to holiday drunks? Well, uh, the uh, Edmund O'Brien version actually aired on December the 30th of 1950. So you could have made the same reference for New Year's. Really, any holiday on which people get drunk, you could. Do it for any holiday, really. You know, you could air it around Memorial Day or Labor Day or Arbor Day. Okay, I guess there aren't as many Arbor Day trunks as one might think. Now, I did note a difference between the way this story played out and the way that John Abbott wrote about it in his book, The Who Is Johnny Dollar Matter. At the time that uh, book was written, Uh, This episode was not in circulation when the second edition came out, and he had written his description of the missing episodes based on the script, so it's possible there was a change to the script. The summary says that Johnny uh, goes to New York and then is nearly hit by a car. And that's the same thing that it says on the Edmund O'Brien version. It may be somebody uh, realized at the last minute that this doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Johnny to think that this might be related to the call he got from Rudy Valentine because he was in New York City and the odds of Valentine having followed him there and hitting him there are remote. But if he's nearly hit in Hartford while he's crossing to his building, then he might be suspicious that Rudy Valentine did it. And, you know, it shows the signs of a quick rewrite just because the... uh, Transitions are a little bit abrupt. And then Johnny says the weirdest thing in this one. When he's talking to the police officer in the, in the records area, he says he was coming home from his office. But he doesn't have an office. I mean, it looks like somebody got a handle on this who didn't know all the details of Johnny Dollar and tried to fix the story and created some additional problems. The story does have kind of some classic hallmarks of the O'Brien era. I think the reasoning for Johnny concluding that uh, Valentine didn't do the original crime because he killed his brother, you know, really does seem like the sort of logic that would be used in the O'Brien era. The problem with that is that Rudy didn't do it. So does that mean he now committed the original robbery? Can't just be not guilty of everything, I guess. And of course, as asked in the episode, there have been quite a few people who have come after Johnny after getting out of prison but generally without the protestation of innocence. So perhaps not the best reasoning. Johnny's statement about threatening phone calls not being illegal but threatening mail being illegal was kind of jarring. That may very well have been the case in 1953. But I wouldn't take this as a license to go and make uh, harassing phone calls. I actually looked up a law, and I'm not a lawyer nor offering legal advice, but it uh, is a law that came into effect in 1995 that forbid harassing calls in interstate communications. And since Johnny was in Connecticut and Rudy was in uh, New York, that might be an issue. Although, again, as I'm not a lawyer, I'm kind of confused by the language. It looks like it might only apply if it was an obscene phone call. So because Rudy kept his uh, implied death threats family friendly, it may not be an issue. At least not under federal law, although, you know, there are a lot of state and local laws, and besides that, it's just not something to do, so, in all seriousness, just don't do that. I was surprised by how well this turned out for Rudy, given that this was originally a story from the O'Brien era, and those were notorious for almost never turning out happily for anyone involved. So, to have a case where, uh... Rudy Valentine listens to Johnny and surrenders, and it all turns out for the best for him, that makes it very unusual. One final note, uh, when uh, John Abbott was going through the scripts, he actually wrote down the concluding remark uh, from uh, Edmund O'Brien's Johnny Dollar uh, version of this story. Uh, And he wrote... As I said at the outset, I do not expect the county court part one to honor this statement. It would be fair and equitable to work out payment for a witness. It looks like I um, uh, make that position again at the attorney's forthcoming murder trial. And for me, it'll be a waste of time. I know he is guilty. Yeah, that is something that Edmund O'Brien's... ...version of Johnny Dollar would say. Well, we turn now to listener comments and feedback. And I made a blooper, a somewhat intentional blooper, uh, on an episode a couple weeks ago. And uh, uh, a couple of listeners commented uh, this from Derek, who said, I just wanted to say I love the show. I always wonder how yours truly, Adam Graham, solves his cases. And then David uh, wrote over on YouTube, uh, regard on the uh, comments for episode 3751, uh, says, Desperately waiting for episode 3781 on YouTube so I can make a comment about the introduction. I'm listening to it as a podcast but can't comment on that platform. Change of a career and a time machine, Adam? Well, uh, thanks for the comment, David. Thanks for being one of the few people who stays on topic on YouTube. Comment section's definitely fun. Uh, Now, if you're wondering what actually inspired that, it was actually a request from Mark, long-time listener, who writes in, I misheard something you said recently, and it gave me a, and he puts in quotation marks, great idea for a very silly joke. It would be for you to say, Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. This is your host, Johnny Dollar. Then sit back for a week and watch the comments roll in, catching your mistake, just in fun, and just to see how many call you on it. Uh, Well, thanks so much, Mark. I added a uh, a twist or two or a little bit of extra silliness to your suggestion. And the answer as to how many call me on it to one degree or another is too. But to be fair, I think I've got a very charitable audience. And some people may have caught it, but been like, you know, he's just probably a tired new daddy. So that may have messed with the experiment. Mark also notes that he had uh, crossed uh, through um, my state a few times in 1973 to 74 on I-90 when he spent a postgraduate year in Bellingham, Washington. Yeah, I've been to Bellingham. I, I forget whether I stayed there as a kid. I don't think so, but... I think we had a friend who lived there for a while. May have been one of my brothers. Uh, I was under 10 at the time, so don't have a very clear memory on that. But thanks so much for the comment, Mark, and for the suggestion. Now let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Tom, Patreon supporter since January 2021, currently supporting the program at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Tom. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We'll be back next Friday with another episode of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. But coming up tomorrow, join us for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where...
4: Because by botulism. What's that?
3: It's the result of improper home cannon. Stomach content showed the Farraguts had made their last meal on green beans, potatoes, and canned sausage meat.
4: There's nothing in that to kill them. Yes, there is, Mr. Mack. The doc's right.
3: Canned meat at home is tricky business, Sid. Should be done under steam pressure at high temperature. If it isn't, uh, bacteria forms and it's plenty deadly. You sure that's what killed them, Doc? Bacteria was unmistakable, Sheriff. It was the sausage meat. Nothing else. I guess we should be thankful in a way... It's nice to know it wasn't murder.
4: Dead. Just from sitting down to a meal. And they're all dead. Well, Jace, looks like I brought you down here for nothing. I don't know, Sheriff. Looks like we've got a real job on our hands anyhow. What do you mean, Ranger? The Sheriff and I have fine combed the house. There's nothing in there that's home canned and no equipment for home canning. Gee, that's right. All we did find was one canning jar on the kitchen drain board. Must have been washed out along with the dishes from the last meal aid. Are you sure of that? Wasn't even a steam boiler big enough for home canning. And a woman doesn't just put up one jar. She cans in batches, and the whole batch might be contaminated.
3: Women do pass out samples of their home canning to neighbors and friends. That jar must have been a gift.
4: Quite a gift. Like a stick of dynamite with a lighted fuse. Somebody around here must have a pantry full of poison, and they don't know it. You mean what happened to the Farraguts could happen to somebody else? It will happen to somebody else if we don't find out where that sausage meat came from and fast... Sheriff, you better get all your deputies and a bunch of volunteers out here right away. We'll need them to make direct contact with anybody in the area who can't be reached by phone. We've got to warn anybody that may have given the Farraguts that sausage meat. I'll call them right away. Ask the phone company to put on a staff and make calls to every listing. Right, Jace. Is there anything I can do, Ranger? you get your car. You can take an area when the sheriff and I map it out.
3: I can help you there.
4: I'd rather use you in another way if you don't mind, Doc. Drive into town, go to the newspaper and the local radio station, ask them to get out a warning.
0: Right. You want me to come back then?
4: No, you better stand by in town, and pray that we don't bring in another case for the hospital.
0: I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash detectives.